Hello, everyone. How are we doing? I hope everyone is staying positive. I'm really excited. Today, I am interviewing Paul Chinook. He is the owner of Lector Productions, and he also was my co-star in February's Dog. So we've got some lots of questions for him today, and I'm going to bring him on right here. Hello. How's it going? How are you? Good. How are you? I am great. It is so nice to see you virtually. It's going to be fun. Well, thank you for bringing me on your show today. I think we're going to have a blast talking about mental health, how to make a film, and all that good stuff. You still there, Quinn? <laughs> What's going on here? So yeah, so I'm Paul Chinook. I wrote February's Dog. It was a wonderful experience. It's somewhat based on true, well, not necessarily a true story, but a mixing. There you are, you're back. I'm back, I'm sorry, guys. Technical difficulties. So continue on, yes, about February's dog. Right, oh, hold on, there, camera's falling over, there we go. So uh, yeah, so the way I came about writing February's dog was working in the oil field most of my career. The downturn that happened from 2015 to 2017 was definitely hard on myself and a lot of my colleagues. And also working in the acting industry, uh, as, as a lot of us actors know, we're desperately waiting for that next break break and it just didn't seem to come. So instead of waiting for it to come, I thought, well, why don't I just write something? And, you know, if nothing else, me and a good group of my acting friends can start working on their skills. And, and then when the time, by the time casting directors do say yes to us, we'll be polished up and ready to go. So uh, February's dog just keep, seemed to keep growing every time I expose it to somebody. And it's, it's not really, a, it's weird. Like I've wrote other screenplays and TV series since, but I didn't really feel like I wrote this one. It just more just poured out of me. It's like I just went to sit down and write some, and then like two days later, I'm like, wow, this is, who wrote this, right? So I was actually going to ask you how long it took you from the concept and the idea to actually get it fully written. The first version that you were exposed to took me two nights. That's so crazy. That's so fast. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've been following more different podcasts and trying to learn about how different writers and producers do things. And uh, it seems like once you just get in the zone, you just you just follow it out. Right. Um, different for everybody. So for me, yeah, I just would think about it all throughout the day. And then at night, would just sit down and it would just fall out of me. And yeah, after about two nights, I had it done. And then with the editing and tweaking from there, you know, a few weeks. And we had we had a script to work with. Amazing. Now, uh, since this movie is all based on mental health and mental health awareness, and we really are trying to create a platform here with this film, I did want to touch on the subject of this film being based on a true story. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it might not necessarily, like, from start to finish in a linear manner, follow any one particular story. It's it's a collage of a bunch of different stories of friends and colleagues of mine that all went through uh, mental health issues and 
kind of how it all played out. So we've kind of taken a lot of truths and made our own story from it. So while it might not be autobiographical in nature, it's definitely based on truth for sure. And I've reached out to a lot of the people whose story it's based on, and they're all quite grateful that uh, that their experience is being shared in a positive tone. And that, you know, you don't need it. They didn't just suffer for nothing. And that we're on a great bigger scale, making it worthwhile. Right. And it is really important to get stories out there. I feel like when you tell your story and the more you tell your story and the more other people tell their stories, people can feel a little bit less alone because they're hearing, oh, that person went through that too. Wow. I really connect with that. And I've, I've had that happen to me too. So I definitely will agree that that is incredible for you to be putting that out there. Um, now you've started a production company, which is really exciting. Let's hear a little bit about what goes into that and how Lector Productions became. So it's Lector Pictures, close, but <laughs> yeah, just like the logo there, Lector Pictures. So I, love that. I need one of those cups. <laughs> yeah, you do. We'll get one to you here right away. So really for the production company it's just basically like you've got kind of two options when you're a writer you can either be a freelance writer and try to pick up an agent or you can represent yourself with through a production company and then um, when you look at a lot of the different actors that are on both sides of the camera from the rock uh sylvester Stallone, adam sandler a lot of people like that they've got their own production company so they can represent their own work and right. it's a little bit more creative control when you operate in that capacity and then for us little guys like myself you know it's really the the proper structure way to make sure you get things done and, and that's i think that's key for first-time filmmakers or really anybody is to take the time and do things properly yeah and i mean starting a production company is a lot of work i can imagine uh what's the number one thing that you would suggest to people if they are looking to start a production company kind of what's your best advice or biggest tip do your research, make sure you've kind of got, make sure you've got a format and make sure you've got an idea of what you're trying to accomplish uh, before you set out. Uh, I read a fantastic book that was an interview between two legendary directors. Cameron Crowe was interviewing Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder was a Hollywood director from the thirties up until the eighties that worked with Marilyn Monroe and all kinds of other uh, legends and his work like seven year itch or some of the Hollywood classics. And, I like what Billy Wilder had said. He always set out to add a little bit more class, that he was always trying to inject a little bit more class into society. So I think if you've got somewhat of a goal, if you're trying to make somebody think, if you're trying to make them laugh, you know, if, if you've got an aim, it's easier to structure your plan around all that. You know, mm -hmm. instead of thinking, I, I want to go make movies. What are you trying to, what, what are you, what underlies your story? Like, what are you trying to accomplish, right? Like we've all been to the theater or seen a movie that, you know, we talked about for days, weeks, or months afterwards, and I think we all, that's what any filmmaker should be aiming to do. Yeah. yeah, so stay focused and really get out there. Great. Um, I do have a couple questions from people on our Facebook group and whatnot, and then I have some questions written out here. One of the ones that I'd like to ask first is, actually kind of funny um if you could not have played dale in the movie which character would you have played oh that's an interesting one um couldn't play dale which role other role 
I think Jed, um, I, I, I think that the character of Nigel is just too different. It required somebody different than what I can bring to the set, to the set. But I think that if I didn't play Dale, that I would have really naturally fallen into the role of uh, Jed. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, you can actually thank Jill for that one. She uh, gave me the idea for that question. Um, and then another one kind of related as well is, which was the role that was the most difficult for you to cast? Yours, believe it or not. <laughs> ah, Emily Walters. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Emily was a tough one. Uh, it's a very critical role in what appears to be a male dominated film, she definitely controls a lot of her own space. Uh, you know, and I'll let you explain what your connection to Emily was, but I found, I really struggled a lot of, there was a lot of interest in that role, but it was really difficult to find somebody who understood how that character connected to the story and, and what she was, what that character was trying to do. So maybe that's a spot for you to open up. Yeah, I mean, Emily, she's a very unique character. What I would say is the most interesting thing about Emily's character is it shows an entirely different side of mental health because when it comes to dealing with your own mental health, it's a lot different than dealing with somebody else's mental health. Um, I've lived in a relationship where my partner was dealing with mental health and job loss, which is exactly what Emily goes through. So I connected with her really deeply on that level. And I had a lot of my own personal experience that could tie into that. And I, I would agree with you that her character was very complicated and understanding the type of relationship you have when your partner is going through something like mental health or depression or anxiety, it definitely affects the people in your life. It's not just the person who's depressed. It's the person who's depressed and their partner and their family and their friends and how their depression can also affect you. So I uh, love that you brought that up. Thank you. Well, great answer too. And you did a great job. People got to go check it out. <laughs> I can't wait for it to be out. We are shooting for a fall release, guys. For those of you who... Um, did not know. So we're working on that. Let me ask you a couple questions from our thread here. So for those of you guys who are just tuning in every single week after the episode, I'm going to be posting a thread for you guys to ask questions for my next guest every Wednesday. So last week I posted a thread for Paul. We've got a question from Todd. Paul, what's your next project going to be? Oh, we've got uh, I got about four different projects that are in some form of pre-production right now. So there's a TV series that I'm co-writing with another fella uh, that I really like the idea of. I don't know if I can give too much about that way right now. And then I've got the other one that we've been talking about that's kind of an archaeology one. So we've got a bunch of different ideas in the pipeline. And from there, it's kind of once February's dog gets picked up, what distributors are really interested in seeing from us next. So if we're just going to keep producing our own stuff like we've been doing, or if we're going to get picked up for studio stuff, that's kind of going to determine the next steps. I kind of like the idea of just still doing our own stuff, but what <laughs> he says. Yeah. So a couple movies, a TV show, lots in the works. 
got another comment. Thank you, Shay. This guy's helped me so much when it came to getting my scripts into play and also getting them into the right hands. I'm forever grateful for all of the help he's doing for me. I feel like I owe him for a lifetime. Thank you, Shay. Shay. Very nice to say. He is very talented when it comes to writing scripts. I do not know how you do it and how you write them so quickly. It is seriously impressive. Um, okay, so what was your favorite part of filming, Paul? Favorite part? It's, oof. I think it's all so much fun, but it was, I think when we got to the second round of filming, when we were adding the, the well, not new scenes, but the, the second set of scenes so we could show the difference in time and, and uh, season, it was really fantastic to see everybody's evolution that, uh, like a lot of people, it was their, like you, me, a lot of other actors, it was their first experience with speaking roles in front of a camera. And while I thought we did great to see how brave people were getting and how comfortable people were getting, it was really cool to see that, you know, the, the first go around, you know, we did a wonderful job with the script. And then the second go around, we were a lot more comfortable to uh, explore on set. And I thought that was fantastic to see and just how, that created wonderful, wonderful situations throughout the film that it was, it was really good to see the evolution of everybody throughout the whole film. Yeah, I agree. And another thing like for myself, I would love to bring up all of the locations that we filmed on because mm -hmm. some of the locations we got were just nuts. Um, like beautiful, the Rockies. We filmed the entire film all around the Calgary area. So Calgary Pride, Alberta Pride there. It's really nice to showcase some of the Canadian beauty that you don't see in a lot of film because so much is filmed in the U.S. Yeah. It's, it's a unique, beautiful part of the world. And sometimes we lose sight of that being from Alberta that, you know, we've got everything from the badlands around Drumheller all the way to some of the highest peaks and mountains and rugged terrain in the world and a little bit of desert and all kinds of stuff. So it's I think we did a, the best job that we could showcasing Alberta and, you know, the, I really wanted to show just how tight knit and humble the small communities were. So I, you know, shout out to Black Diamond. They certainly, the town of Black Diamond, they were lovely and accommodating us. And Marv's uh, Classic Soda Shop. Marv's Classic Soda Shop. You know, got to go out there and try the Elvis burger. My goodness. Oh my God. It's you too know. much. It's too much. <laughs> Right, like the, the outpouring of support that we got from all the locations and sponsors that assisted us was it was fantastic. Uh, the CL Ranch, I mean, the beautiful landscape sceneries that they've got there, you know, the, the support that Teresa and Marshall Coppathorn put behind the film was fantastic. Um, uh, Powderhorn Saloon out in Bragg Creek, we didn't get Quinn out for that shot, but, uh, you know, it, it was a fantastic location. Ironwood in Calgary the AG grocery store in Black Diamond, everybody, everywhere was just so, once we told them what we were trying to accomplish with the film, it just opened so many doors. And I, I think like you've noticed too, and a lot of other cast is shooting a film like this definitely opened my eyes to just how important getting a good conversation about mental health is in society that uh, <laughs> Quinn just about killed us when she came down to visit me in Houston, like she'd mentioned. <laughs> Oh my God, so embarrassing. We were ever so excited to tell our uh, our Uber driver, you know, why why we were down in Texas or why you were down in Texas and she just both crashed the truck. I'll let you tell it better than I can, but. 
oh, she started crying. And all I did was tell her the synopsis of the film. 84 miles an hour on the freeway, I'll point out. Well, I've, I've got a cat and a dog, both trying to get in on this. They're jealous. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a really interesting experience. And it's really interesting because I get a very similar response every time I tell anyone about this film, anything about the premise. And for those of you guys who are tuned in right now, if you don't know the premise of this film, it's based on Emily Walters and Dale and as well as another guy named Nigel Loggins and they lose their job. And I think everyone can really relate to that right now as a large part, portion of our nation is not working right now. And it goes through the struggles of dealing with the job loss and the mental health aspects of that. So every time I tell anyone that they are just like ready to cry and that touches me so much. Like, yeah. To me, that is so heartwarming to see that people want to support. And like you said, this project just kept blowing up. It started as a short film. And with all the support from everyone, it's blown up to, into this huge thing. We're going to be live in theaters. Sure will. Uh, you know, it, it's. I feel like it's wonderful and it's, it's terrible at the same time that the film's never been more relevant. Sadly, it's because there's that many people going through all this type of uncertainty, depression, anxiety, uh, pain, you know, and turmoil in their lives. But, you know, I'm glad that we created this project because as we all know, and we can't give the ending away that, you know, if, if nothing else, this, this film will definitely make people think about their list of contacts, their list of loved ones. You know, are you keeping in touch with people? Is everybody doing okay? Uh, yeah, so. exactly. Louis says, my cats and dogs are healing for my mental illness. And that is so true. I am quarantined all alone. So I can definitely say that I love having my cats and dogs. Thank you for that, Louise. Yeah. Thanks, Louise. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I would definitely agree that with this film, hopefully we can kind of connect with people on that level and connect with the mental health and again, build this platform up so that people know that they aren't alone. Absolutely, it's it's definitely one thing, it was something that I was certainly focused on as a, as a script writer. There was numerous different creative conversations that went on about how different scenes could go and stuff like that. And, and one thing that we always, I tried to stay focused on is making sure that we were not stigmatizing mental health in a bad light. There, there's some things that could have been quite uh, cinema, cinematographically uh, appeasing, appealing, but wouldn't be really helping us drive the message. So uh, definitely try to stay true to our word and definitely try to make sure that we were creating the help that we were hoping to cause. Yeah. The film. You know, like I think that good filmmaking, it makes you pause. Like one of my favorite films of all time is called One Week, written uh, by a fellow Canadian, or produced with, uh, in Canada with Joshua Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I just love that that film makes you think, you know, it, it's essentially the premise of a guy who finds out out of the blue that he's got terminal cancer and he doesn't have a whole lot of time. And it makes him really stop and question himself. And I, I really like that type of filmmaking where you can leave with a positive in your life based on the story that somebody is telling. Yeah, definitely. And in the creation of this and going through all of that, did you find it really difficult to kind of wear so many hats in this production? Because since you wrote it, you starred in it, and you produced it, how did you find it juggling all of that? 
there were definitely some busy days, but it's just so much fun getting to work in an industry that you're passionate about that, you know, there was times where I was working 18 to 20, 22 hours a day, but I just couldn't wait to get up, get out of bed and keep going. Like, you know, you're onto something when you have to force yourself to go to bed after a day like that, right? A work day like that. So I didn't really find it too challenging. It was, it was so rewarding and we had such a great group of people around that it, it was so easy to just get swept up in the whole moment of things and just enjoy it. I think I felt the same level of sorrow when it was all done. It was like, what? That's the last scene, right? I think everybody had the same look on their face on the last scene. We're done. But then we decided to film additional scenes and we got to do it all over again. And then yeah. we got the sadness all over again too. <laughs> so true. So, you know, it's uh, there'll be future projects, that's for sure. So we don't have one that's officially right going right now. But with this coronavirus world, we just got to kind of see how some things play out. And then we'll be going from there. Yeah, we have a live question here. Where will we find this film outside of Canada? Love the question, Tony. We are taking the film to the cons film market next month. Uh, we're in conversation with different international distributors uh, from all kinds of different continents except for Antarctica because apparently there isn't a theater there. But everywhere else has definitely voiced interest in the film, and we'll have more on that soon. Uh, the whole industry is trying to scramble to figure out what the new coronavirus yeah. is going to look like, when theaters can be open again, when we can when everybody can be back in theaters, not to mention how to get the backlog of films into theaters. Like, I don't know if you heard of this guy, this fellow by the name of Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's got a sequel called Top Gun 2. Yeah, it's stuck. So, <laughs> so we'd all love to know when we can see all these wonderful projects that have been shot in the last year or so. Yeah. So, Tony, basically the best uh, thing to do is just stay in tune on our lives. And also, as soon as we have information on a release, we will definitely be posting all about it. So don't worry. We will keep that information out here. Let's see. We had a couple more questions. Um, why is Will not, I mean, uh, in the trailer, if he's a main character, that comes from Carmen on Facebook, as well as Sally on Facebook. Great question, and I'm, I love seeing that the actors in the film have such a supportive group of followers and friends and family, and I really like that question because it gives, it gives us a chance to give some insight into filmmaking. So when you're writing a dramatic film, there's kind of two essential ways that you can write a trailer. You can do a teaser trailer, and or you can do a story trailer. The teaser trailer, like when you think of your action film, horrors and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and stuff like that, you can give a teaser of what are some good one-liners in the film, uh, who are the main characters in the film, and, and stuff like that. So when myself and our editor, Jordy Day, sat down to come up with our trailer, we kind of both felt compelled that the story trailer was a better avenue for our film. Um, it's such a wonderful story that, so then when you've got two minutes, you've got to encapsulate a story within that story so that you can captivate an audience to come to the theater. So it's, the more you try to boil it down, the harder it gets, right? I mean, mm -hmm. wow, when we even started writing the script, there's so many different directions, so many different aspects, so many different angles that you can include in mental health. And you've got to focus on one, maybe two, that you can do a compelling job of telling a story about. And then when you try to boil that story down into two minutes so you can even motivate people to get into the theaters, there's only so many things that we could put in it to really 
draw people into the theater. And that's what we came right. up with for our story. But it doesn't mean that Will doesn't have a critical role in the film. It just means that for the style of trailer that we shot, that we had to stay focused on that two minutes. It's easy to end up wandering in the woods and get lost on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> so. Definitely. And I mean, creating a trailer is like a whole job in its own. And we, to me, it's better to just leave that type of thing up to the professionals, right? Yeah, you know, even when you think of sports, for instance, I mean, uh, if you were to do a highlight of a hockey game that had eight goals in it and you've only got 30 seconds, can you show each one of them? You know, it doesn't mean that those goals don't count. It doesn't mean that those goals didn't have impact. Sometimes you're just looking for different things, you know. What camera angle do we have the best angle on? What fits the narrative? What all that rest of that stuff? So there's there's a lot that goes into stuff like that, and it's it's Will did bring a do a wonderful job in the film, so you're just gonna have to come see him on the big screen because we didn't give it away for free. <laughs> That's so true, I love it. Um, on that note, I would love to ask you, what type of person do you think will love this movie? Great question. I, I think when we originally wrote it we were looking to connect with the blue collar working uh, family audience that understands the ebbs and flows of markets and his impact, but it, but a lot. Uh, I was talking with a few friends of mine that are everything from professional athletes to healthcare professionals right now. And our film resonates with a lot more people than we thought, especially now with this, with this, with this, the reality of this coronavirus world that we're going through that there's all kinds of people that thought that they had, attained job security that are in very uncertain times right now. So mm -hmm. this film's a wonderful visual for a lot of people right now. Um, I mean, I think it's a little grandiose to say our film can connect with everybody, but at the same time, I don't think that's wrong. I think that we just brought such mm -hmm. true, compelling human story to it that there's something for everybody to take from it. When you learn, when you learn to be a little less self self-focused and expand your, your uh, expand your thought and expand your support around all the people around you too. Yeah, for sure. And I would definitely agree with you that through everything going on in society right now with the coronavirus and a lot more people losing their jobs and struggling, I think a lot more people are struggling with mental health issues and having this type of film coming out at this time definitely makes it a lot more prevalent to a larger audience because so many more people have firsthand experience with exactly the story that we're trying to tell in the film. Right. Like, like I was saying before, there's a lot of truth that goes into this film. And for myself, like between 2015 to 2017, I lost everything and ended up in my mom's basement. And it was a extremely challenging time in my life. Uh, I wasn't alone. Sadly, I knew lots of other colleagues that were doing the same thing. And because we didn't really know how to handle something that bad before, I mean, we'd all gone through a downturn that lasted six months to a year. You can kind of live off your savings. and It's not that bad, but we got absolutely swept away in a tsunami, essentially, of, of three years with no work that um, a lot of us didn't cope with it in a healthy way. So with the film, I really hope that part of it was just even my own, my own uh, coming to terms with what I went through and try to find a positive and share it with other people. I mean, by the time I ended up in my mom's basement, you know, penniless and, you know, I even, my, it even got to the point where my mind would turn off for a period of time. And my doctor 
gave me a, a prescription for two months off. I was allowed to do three things a day and making my bed counted as one of them. And, uh, it got that bad for me. So I think part of this process was just me making sense of it and trying to help somebody else so that they don't have to go through it all. That there were healthier things that I could have done uh, along the way that could have prevented things from getting as bad as they are. And now writing the film, connecting with as many people as I have and connecting with health experts, you know, to make sure that we're sending out a positive message that, you know, one thing I'd like to share with people that are listening is we don't think about it when good times, but that's how you prep yourself for disaster is to start creating healthy habits and healthy mindset now so that when bad times hit, that you're not grappling to try to come up with something to do then. It's, you know, by the time depression starts setting into your mind, trying to have hearing people say you just got to look at things positively, it's like nails on a chalk, you know you've got to start taking those steps ahead of time and learn it, you know, start doing, be grateful. Like, even if you like one thing I try to do now is every day I try to think of five to 10 things I'm grateful for and just program my mind to seek, to seek out good. And that itself can really help you with depression when you've uh, conditioned yourself to not slip into that. And, right. but it's so easy if you're not, if you're not, I mean, it happened to me and, and quite a list of my colleagues. So it, it's, Make sure that you're taking the healthy steps now to protect, protect yourself when you get to rough times. Yeah, and I mean, part of what we want to do on this platform is exactly that, is talk to people and try to promote things that are helping us personally with our mental health and promoting positivity. And you kind of touched right on one of my next questions, which was what is something or a few things that you do daily that help you keep a positive mindset? Well, for me, and you know, it ties into filmmaking because it is, you start into it thinking, well, this is gonna be amazing. I'm just gonna get a group of friends together and we'll go shoot a movie. Yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> and, and then you realize that getting a film successfully shot is nothing but a never ending list of problem solving. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, we didn't get that location. Oh, they bailed at the last minute. Oh, this person's late. Oh, this, you know, you know it's all going to happen <laughs> and it all did happen. And so you're constantly on your feet, constantly trying to adjust, you know, even this coronavirus thing, we originally had scheduled to be in theaters in Alberta in March, you know, starting to adapt yet again when we thought we'd overcome everything, but that's, that's just the nature of it. So one thing that I definitely am working on now is trying to take everything in balance as a filmmaker and really as a person, we've got to learn to not be swept away by the highs and crushed by the lows and just take them all in balance that, you know, you do your best learning in your biggest mistakes. And sometimes your greatest accomplishments are just complete luck. So yeah. just taking that all with balance and uh, living in the moment a lot more and not, you know, I can't wait for this event or I can't wait for tomorrow, you know, be here now. There's amazing things that happen in our lives all the time. Maybe sometimes we lose sight of. Yeah. Recognizing the small things, right. I mean, I think that a lot of the time we get lost in our daily lives and we can get lost in this sort of narrative that we're telling ourselves. And sometimes that narrative starts to get negative and then we're telling ourselves all of these negative things. And it's like, okay, how do we shift our mindset out of that negativity? And I mean, one thing that the coronavirus specifically um, has done is I think it's bringing people back to appreciating some of the things that we've gotten to the point of forgetting about and appreciating our family, appreciating our home life and doing crafts with kids and 
kind of reconnecting, um, you know, family dinners, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. It, it's, you're hundred percent right. It, it's a lot of that little stuff that we, you know, we overlook while we're in a pursuit of our career and stuff like that. And, you know, it's another, I was just talking with a friend of mine, Nick Lewis, who you might be talking to soon. And he had some wonderful insight into this too, being a, a professional athlete. And I don't want to give away too much of his story, but I mean, you know, the, the path that even just that individual went through is remarkable. And I can't wait to hear him elaborate more on your show. Uh, you know, it's behind every great success, there's a story of what could have been crippling de mental defeat, right? Like to get, to get anywhere successful in life, there's, you know, there's a veritable pitfall of mental health issues. I mean, I started following a podcast called, well, I don't want to give them free advertising, but it's, it's all about film producers and stuff. And it, it's, it's very, it feels great to hear that they, they all go through the same thing. Like pick a producer, no matter how big they are, they still question if they're going to, if this is their last film and all the rest of that. And uh, it can be a very tense industry. So make sure that you're not pinning all of your self-worth on your career, because that's something that can be taken away. Yeah. I think a lot of it too is, trying to take kind of a step back. And for me personally, one thing that I've been really working hard on is looking at my life, looking at situations and seeing, okay, which one of these are in my control and which ones are out of my control and anything that is not in my control. It's like, okay, take a step back. Don't get emotional about that. Don't get upset about that. That is not something I can control directly. So it's not something I need to be focusing on. 100%. Um, so for our viewers that are listening, I got to, I got to, we're going to give, do a giveaway now. Oh, yeah. That asks a question, but asks Quinn a question. Oh my God. <laughs> Since we're in Texas and Quinn's in Calgary, this might take a little bit of time, but we'll both autograph this behind the scenes picture. For the next person that asks Quinn a question. How's that sound, Quinn? Love it. Yes. I didn't even know that you were going to do that. What a good surprise. <laughs> so, yeah. Friends, jump on, ask a question, and you'll be getting that poster signed. That's really exciting. So, I, That picture of me is so ridiculous. Look at me. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it wouldn't be a behind the scenes, and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. I don't even know why you're making that face to you. Um, I have no idea. It's a still, okay? Or it was it a behind the scenes picture or a still from the film? No, that's a behind the scenes. He caught me in between expressions, okay? It's not bad for my mental health, that photo. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? If it brings other people joy to see that photo then i'm more than happy to sign it and send it off to the whole nation <laughs> um, for you too while we're waiting then quinn uh what was your experience like what did you do to get ready to be on set great question uh i oh my goodness there was so much that went into preparing for set i know you'll agree i mean you and i alone spent hours rehearsing our lines and whatnot over the phone a huge amount of it is just getting your lines down and memorizing your lines but another huge thing is trying to connect with your character and i think that like a lot of people have different 
kind of opinions on how to connect with character. There's method actors, there's all types of different ways of doing it and perspectives on it. For me, it was definitely getting to know my character and really figuring out the differences of the things that I related to my character and the similarities between myself and Emily versus the things that were not the same and then making those choices about my character and making the choices of, okay, Emily likes this, she doesn't like this. And some of those things were the same for me and some of them were different. So I would say the biggest thing was just really getting into the character and really understanding who she was as a person. You know, I, I know you have a little bit of a funny story on getting into your character. Do you know what I'm about to touch on? We have a question. Quinn, do you have vodka in that cup? Um, I, I do not. It is, it is tea. It's a, it is green jasmine tea, which is just a very healthy tea to drink because you don't have to put any sugar or honey in it to make it tastes good it's just okay. great it is. and we've got another question uh quinn what other films have you been in that have helped you in this movie thank you so much tony that's a great question um so this was my first feature film that i was ever in which was thank you so much paul for giving me this opportunity so this job with it so who, who is the poster the vodka question or the uh or tony yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, may, uh, uh, maybe we can. Uh, How about one for each? Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe we can surprise them and send them both one. Let's do that. Perfect. Yeah, so for okay. me, I. Second one. Oh, there we go. I love that photo. That is such a great photo. Uh, yeah, so for me, I this was my first major role and lead role. Uh, mainly, though, I think just in preparation for this and what helped me do this was doing all of the acting training that I've done. I studied under uh, Adrian Hoff. He was in X-Men and the Netflix show, show Sabrina he's in. He's been in quite a bit of things now. I started studying under Adrian when I was, oh gosh, um, some 10, I think I was 10 or 11. Um, yeah, I begged my parents to put me in acting classes and they had to drive all the way from Qualicum all the way to Nanaimo every week to bring me. It was not their thing, but they did it. <laughs> yeah. And then I also took training in LA coincidentally through another Adrian, but a different Adrian, Adrian Armante and Phil Lewis. Um, he plays on The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, and Phil Lewis, of course, is a great director, but very well known. So I studied under them in LA, and I would say those two things were the biggest things that helped me kind of craft my acting and really learn what acting is and how to do it. A lot of people have a little bit of a weird understanding on acting. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just want to do this but they don't realize that you do have to put time, effort, and money into it. It's just like any other career. Although it seems a lot different, it, it's really not. It's about going and getting your schooling and putting the time and effort into your craft and 
yeah, I think overall, just making sure that I was studying. I, even now, um, I'm doing Adrian Armante's program again this July. So I did it five or six years ago in LA. He comes to Calgary now and does a Canadian program. And I'm going to be doing that again in, in July. And I think that's one thing as an actor that I would really try to tell young actors trying to get into the industry is take training, keep learning, always be learning. If you can't afford to be paying for acting schooling or anything, learn online. There is so many videos. You can learn anything online now. So yeah, thank you for that question. And the biggest help was school and connecting, making connections with people around me. Perfect. How about you? I feel like you can answer that question too. Well, I never did any fancy uh, schooling like you did. I just kind of organically fell into acting. When I was living in Calgary and Inglewood, I had a neighbor that lived down the street a bit that was shooting a, a pilot for something and he wanted to use my 66 Mustang that I had at the time for some scenes. So sure, why not? And I showed up one day when they wanted to film and you know, improv some lines and, and then, uh, who's turned out to be a great friend of mine, Angela White, that I met that day, uh, was saying, oh, wow, you're a natural. How come I haven't seen you on set before? And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's why. And so she was kind enough to get me in touch with her agent, Carla Brown, at Platinum Talent. And I went to Carla. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this sounds like it's fun. What do I do? And uh, Carla took me under her wing, and you know, I, I kind of learned on set myself. And... I liked it enough that I started, I mean, with my work schedule, I've always been in the oil field, so it's tough to commit to when different uh, classes and programs are going on. But that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. So I started uh, investing, like you said, my time into things and buying a ton of books and uh, reading a bunch of different people's approach on things. I, I really connected with Carol, Harold Guskin, who's been an acting coach for lots of different stars, uh, perhaps actors. And for myself, this being my first role, the most compelling way to do it was literally start from this, this character's origin where were they born and just start right. filling the complete story because it, it created a, a much more compelling narrative for why that character responded things differently than i i think it gets a little bit boring when you just see if, if you just saw me and a, a bunch of different films responding the same way i don't know if that's really acting so for me creating a completely different backstory for this character became really interesting because my, even my handwriting started to be different when I got into character and not that I was even really mentally focused on it. It was just when I'd make a note, um, it was amazing to see that creating that different backstory created different handwriting. Yes, and that's what I was alluding to a little bit earlier is the changes that go through your head and your perspectives when you are getting into a role. And that is very method for sure. Um, did you have any struggles with that or was it easy for you to fall into that character? I found it took, I think anything, getting into any character properly takes work. I, uh, it's one thing to read it. it the other thing is, is to bring a real, a, re, a real character to the screen and not just, you know, just, anybody can memorize lines. Anybody can. We've all done it. Right. To make it real, to make it an actual person and, and connected to a story is where the work takes place. So while as a lot of, while even as actors on our own journey, you spend a lot of your focus on the words, you realize quickly when you get to set that that's about 10% of an actor's job. So yes, you better know the words and then creating them in a, producing them in a compelling environment while you're moving in space, so to speak, that's where the acting really takes off. Right. So 
you know, you better make sure you know your words in your lines inside and out. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you say that is I felt like when we got on set, you're so nervous right up until you film. And no matter how many scenes we did, I like it was the same exact feeling every time for me. And it's you get there. The, everyone's kind of bustling around and you got a lot going on around you. You're, you're all mic'd up and you're like thinking in your head, Oh my God, I don't know any of my lines. What am I going to, I don't know. What am I about to say? I don't know these lines. And then the cameras go on, they call action and all of a sudden they just start flowing out of you. And you're like, Oh, I guess yeah. I didn't know those lines. Well, my personal favorite is once we started getting into it, like we always treated our, our script like a living document that it, it wasn't, I mean, it's not like we're telling the Gettysburg Address and, and there's a specific script that we know we have to follow because we're recreating a real event that happened. You know, this was something that was constantly evolving and constantly changing. And then by about day two or three, that, that's when the real work set in, I found, because we'd shoot a scene and go, oh, okay, well, how would we respond in the next scene now that we just changed all the lines? So after taking months, to memorize the original script, the fact that we were throwing out huge sections in the script and given 10 minutes to learn the new ones that we were creating and seeing that we were doing a legitimate uh, professional job of it, that was like, wow, I think we've really put the work into uh, to know our characters when, you know, between scenes we can go, well, now that I've seen this play out, I think we would uh, yeah. approach it in a different way. That was really cool to see too. It really was. And just like having that experience was really interesting. And I, I'm very proud of myself and, and everyone who was involved in how well that they did with those changes, because changing up a scene halfway through can be a lot. It's crazy. I mean, it was interesting. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, from what I've learned is there's no real right or wrong way of, of uh, shooting a film, of getting into character, just as long as you do it, whatever way works for you, right? Like, um, I don't know if I'd so much say that it was method acting, but I don't really know the labels as well, what I was doing. I find more like what Heath Ledger to get into the Joker's method acting, but right. I just think that creating that strong backstory is just, that's just the work that you got to put in. Yeah, definitely. I had a, another question that kind of leads well off of this. How would you define success? Ooh. I know it's a deep one because it really kind of comes around like a lot of people would say, oh, you've got a movie coming out. Success, done, good. To me, it's a little bit more than that. So I really wanted to hear your perspective on that. That is a good question. And I, for me, success evolves. So. The fact that I got a script actually written that could attract a production company was a success. And then bringing together a cast that did as wonderful of a job as they did is another success. So I didn't, I didn't just have one big grandiose success, but like a, a trail of little ones that, that just keep you, keep you going forward with the progress. So I thought that once we did a wonderful job filming, I think, you know, with, all, with every little step we've taken, and the biggest success is having all the actors feel like they did a, a rewarding job in the film. Like that to me is, is the biggest success and being able to offer people like yourself that weren't given an opportunity before an opportunity to show up just how fantastic of an actress you are, that that's a huge success too. Yeah, I love that. And I think that really touches on the mental health subject as well 
because I think mental health wise, it's very important to recognize your small successes along the way. And as you're going through life and as you have bad days, it's good to look back and, oh, well, yesterday, you know what? Yesterday I had a very like positive day. I completed a lot of tasks or you know what, even maybe your only success in one day was that you got up and got dressed. That's okay too. And I think that the more people can recognize those small incremental successes in their daily lives, the more that they'll really be able to overall feel good about themselves and kind of move forward and get closer to the bigger and bigger successes. I think there's a lot of truth in what you're just saying there, Quinn. I think when we set too big a goals, had we said if this film doesn't win an Oscar, then we wouldn't consider it successful, that it's easy to feel crushing defeat if mm. you don't meet such a large goal. I mm. think, you know, if you create, just like you were saying, a long little list of goals, and they can even change. I mean, there's some days where you might feel like you didn't get anything done, but you did a ton of learning. If, if you let frustration melt away and see what frustration really is, it's just you being presented potentially with something that you were unfamiliar with or a situation that you were unaware of. It was how it's actually supposed to go. So, you know, myself being a very competitive person uh, growing up, structured to be very competitive, sometimes I don't give myself the space to take some of those awkward steps to do the learning that's required, but Mm -hmm. that's how you learn. I mean, if you pick up a guitar and you've never played guitar before, it's going to sound terrible, but (laughs) that's just where you're starting. That's not your ending point. You got to, I found for me that to be able to give myself the space to even try new things like filmmaking, I had to give myself that humility to say, I'm not going to be the world's greatest at everything, but that's fine. I'm still going to enjoy every little step along the way. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's key is really just enjoying every step along the way and enjoying your life, enjoying the connections that you make. And through this film, I've, I'm so blessed that I met you, first of all, um, a little bit of backstory. We met on set, actually, of uh, Tin Star, was it? I think it was. That's yeah. That's yeah. On the, I think we were also on Heartland together as well. Mm. That might have been after. It was in that same period, though. Yeah. So we were we were on a few different sets together, and that's how we met. And then it's just so crazy. You never know how one little meeting somebody in some random situation is going to lead onto this this movie in this case and so many different connections. And to me, that's one of the biggest things of staying positive and staying in that positive mindset is making sure that you're connecting with people and reaching out to your network now more than ever when we feel so isolated. Right. You know, and it's, it's interesting back to the way we met. It's not even like we were close or that we were like, Oh, Hey, we got to keep in touch. I just like, you were just, you were always upbeat on set. You were that quirky, fun, you know, ball of energy that was always smiling like you are right now and when I struggled and struggled and struggled to try to cast the role for uh, for Emily, you know, just being who you were on set, I was like, geez, I wonder if I should see if she could pull it off. So, you know, that, that tips me up to another thing that for anybody who's looking at getting into film is be somebody that people want to work with. To be honest, that was a huge asset for you because like productions can get to be grueling. They can also get to be quite intimate, right? These have to be people that you're that people want to work 18 hours a day with. So, I mean, I was in a blessed position that I got to pick the people, you know, yes. all the casting. So uh, bringing in people that I thought for one would 
were deserving of that opportunity and that would really appreciate it is what I was looking for. And, you know, just you being who you are and being that bubbly ball of positive energy really helped shift me to go, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if she would uh, be able to nail it. So it's, it's not like it was just an inner circle of friends. I mean, we're a tight-knit group of friends now that shot the film, but, yeah. you know, good advice to anybody else. Just you never know what a positive attitude is going to bring because had you been moody on set like a lot of other people are, they're like, oh, the coffee at craft services is cold or whatever else, right? You're like, eh, not working with that person, right? So. I mean, we had great craft services. We were very lucky, so <laughs> amazing oh my food. My mom did wonders for us. Mardell Chinook and uh, yeah. Martin Baudouin and Réjean Baudouin did a wonderful job. Absolutely yeah. spoiled. You know, actually speaking of um, uh, casting me, I did actually miss one question here. Um, which role, uh, where is it? I lost it. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, there it is. Who do you think out of all the cast members was the most like their character? The most like. Oh. Like their personal person, the actual person, the actor who played the character, who do you think was the most similar? I would like to think I gave a bit of a challenge to everybody. I, I you know, I, I try. I didn't try to cast because I'm like, oh, that is just so this person. But I, it doesn't really present. After you cast, I think is what I'm I'm getting yeah. at is as they fell into their roles and everyone was cast. Who did you think had the most similarities with their character naturally? <laughs> Here, I think Doug Wilson was most like his character. Ah, yes, that's such a good one, Doug. Yeah, he did a wonderful character in the film. And you know, funny little backstory on Doug was, or not really funny, but I mean, he was one of the he was one of the guys that was there from the moment when I just said, "Hey, I'm going to write a script," and he's like, "Oh, okay," uh, to doing some wonderful editing and stuff. And uh, Doug actually cut a lot of his own lines out, knowing that he was going to be arty. Like, what kind of amazing individual is that to go, he's not that important in that scene. So I don't know what, what, what scene it is, but you know, I looked at it, looked at him, I looked at him, I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but are you serious? <laughs> like, <laughs> lines, like, you actually want them to be minimized. And, you know, he was just so invested in the overall project getting done correctly that, what a wonderful thing for Doug Wilson to do is to cut his own lines. I honestly don't even know if I can do something like that, right? I know. Oh, my goodness. He did great, though. And, I mean, considering that he was literally had a baby like a week before production, I I don't know how he did it. He probably got no sleep is what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, and he was involved in basically every aspect. I mean, he was just our Swiss Army knife behind the scenes. So I can't thank Doug Wilson enough. I can't thank everybody that was in the in the production overall enough, but uh, like you know, Doug was really the only person that was there from when this just started off as an idea. When everybody else was like, "Oh yeah, like you're gonna get a script written," and Doug's like, "Yeah, go for it, right?" So yeah. I love uh, that. And I mean, as we finish up here, that is a great topic because uh, I do really want this podcast to be about mental health, and I'd like to help people with mental health and promote it. Uh, and that right there you touched on really well as Doug was so supportive of you. And I think that that is key when you're when you're connecting with people and when you're trying to stay positive, it really is about being encouraging to your network and being encouraging when people come to you with ideas or anything, you know, or if you're going to people with ideas, it's always 
going to be <laughs> better for everyone if we all work together and stay positive. So I, I personally want to thank you and the whole team of February's Dog for being such a great team. And I absolutely loved working with everyone. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm just so happy. And I'm so happy that we can kind of uh, include our audience here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you know, and just a few other thank yous to add to that. Got to thank Wild Rose Brewery, Highwood Distillery, uh, the CL Ranch. Like you said, Marge Classic Soda Shop. A cool little story that we learned about Wild Rose that, again, back to supporting people and stuff that I thought was fantastic was when we were shooting at the Powderhorn Saloon in Bragg Creek, we were speaking with the owner, Rose, and she told us that when the, the terrible flood of 2013 happened, that they didn't the, the Powderhorn Saloon wasn't selling any Wild Rose product, but Wild Rose still sent nine people out to help her get her bar cleaned up and wow. get all the, the grunt work to get it all stripped down so they could be rebuilt. And they didn't even ask for anything in response. That's just how wonderful of a, of a company that is with Wild Rose. So that was, it just felt so awesome and just so surreal to see that we had that both those sponsor, that sponsor in that location in our film, um, because like you said, like even in our personal lives, we've got to be seeking those those healthy connections, mm -hmm. you know. Like, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean the people that are a little bit toxic or whatever have to be cut out. Maybe it's maybe you got to ask them the question like, what's going on? Or, or is there something that you're not talking about? Is something bothering you? I don't think most people wake up in the morning and set out to be terrible people, but I think we can all have it happen to us every now and then if we're not, you know, processing what's going on with our lives. So good thing to end on too is, is just to even be more aware of ourselves and the people around us and, you know, understanding of ourselves and the people around us and, and not being too judgmental that we all have good and bad days. And, you know, I remember somebody when we were in the first round of editing and I was getting a little overrun just simply asked me, Hey, are you sure you're doing all right? You don't, you, you're not usually this, this bitter. And th those are fantastic reminders to all of us that, we're all just people at the end of the day. And sometimes we get overrun. Sometimes things are a little bit more stressful than we can handle at that point in time. And at the end of the day, if we don't have ourselves, what do we have? So make sure you're, you're taking the time to, to keep yourself in good shape that there, there's always tomorrow. You don't have to talk, tackle the whole mountain today. Maybe just a few steps and set up a camp just a little bit higher. It doesn't have to be all the way to the top. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, again, it's staying positive, reaching out to your friends and family and uh, you know, don't hold people completely responsible when you see them kind of acting in a negative way, because again, you never know somebody's story. You never know what's going on behind closed doors. And the more that we are just open and sort of accepting to the fact that everyone is struggling and we're all just humans, I think that we will definitely find that our days are lighter and our hearts are lighter and that we will see more positivity. And again, it's always what you put out, you get back. I am a huge believer in that. And I think that if you're putting out positivity and maybe if you do see somebody, like you said, who is being a bit snippy or seems really in a bad mood, sometimes it's just asking, hey, are you okay? So mm -hmm. I would definitely encourage everyone, if you notice somebody's behavior or moods are changing or are out of the ordinary, maybe it's just as simple as nobody's asked them what's going on and they feel really alone, 
because I think most people struggle with feeling alone at some point or another. And if somebody reaches out to you and just asks, hey, are you doing okay? Can I, Do you want to chat? Sometimes that's as simple as it is to change that person's entire mindset around in one question. And I know from my own personal experience, sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you're not as aware, self-aware of your own mental state. You know, it, it can be easy to say, well, I'm just in a stressful situation. As soon as the situation ends, I'll be fine. That might not always be the case. You know, sometimes you, you better be monitoring yourself or have a good group of people that are able to help monitor you as well and work as a team. In trouble times like this, like, you know, at work and in my own personal group of friends, I've created a network of people that I check in on and you know, they check in on me right now with this coronavirus because we're all going through uncertainty. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. It can get very scary when you see some of the news. You know, it can if it can feel very isolated and lonely. It can feel very uncertain knowing for a lot of people if they're even going to have a job next week. But if we if we keep those those bonds and those and those ties to our fellow friends and loved ones real, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's really at the end of the day what's going to get us through good times and bad times. While it's fantastic having a career that you love, having a good group of people to share wonderful experiences with is way more memorable in life and valuable too. Yeah, exactly. And it's, again, just connecting with those around you and keeping true to yourself. What do you think about one more giveaway, Quinn? I, I, I do like the idea of giveaways. I, I love giveaways. Okay. How about... We give this movie poster away. We'll both sign it. So I'll send it. I'll sign it in Texas and then I'll send it to Quinn. So that's our alternate movie poster. Now, the topic. What, what are we giving this one away for, Quinn? Well, why don't we give it away to the first post person who posts a comment on the new comment thread that I am going to be posting for next week's episode. I will make sure to get that posted up tonight. I'll be interviewing Francesco Antonio from the TV show Bad Blood. So mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting. Yeah. A fantastic TV series if you haven't seen it. Yeah. So actor and uh, Antonio he will be on next Wednesday at 5 p.m and anyone who puts a question on the thread the first person they will get that poster and if you haven't checked out Bad Blood check it out on Netflix what a wonderful series all shot in Canada with some great Canadian talent in it too yeah well thank you so much Paul for coming on and giving us some insight into the production side of things, producing your own movie, and having some discussion with me on mental health. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Quinn, and I wish you nothing but the best and best of luck with your film. And yeah, can't wait to see what uh, what this film can do for your career, because you sure did an amazing job in the film. And, you know, once it gets out, people will know just what kind of a talented actress we stumbled across, taking a gamble on somebody. So that's fantastic. And thank you so much for being part of this journey. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for the opportunity. Have a great night. You too. Well, guys, thank you all for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it, and I appreciate the support and all of the comments. And let me know what you guys thought. If you guys have any questions on this episode, 
post them below. And if you guys have questions for next week, it is Francesco Antonio from Bad Blood. So another great opportunity to ask some really interesting questions. And I look forward to it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and chat soon.